This is the Faithful Christian Podcast, a podcast that hopes to encourage you in your walk and your love for our Lord Jesus Christ. During this time that it seems very unpopular to stand for the truth, we hope to be your go-to resource to encourage you to stand for what is true and right according to God's word. Let's go on this journey together. What up, guys? Welcome back to Faithful Christian. We are on the last episode, and thank you all who have tuned in so far, and I hope that you've learned something, and I hope that you were able to grow and that you were challenged in your faith while you listened to season one. We are recording in London. I have here with me my friends. I have William, Macklin. I have Elise, who has not been on any episodes, but she's wonderful. I have Amadis and Nate Bowen. Thanks for joining, guys. Thanks, for hey, what's up? Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one at a time. <laughs> We're actually here on vacation, and we've been having a great time. We're on day five. Yep, and I'm actually ready to go home. I'm just tired. <laughs> but no, it's been great. Um, it's a beautiful country, and we've learned a lot about the culture. And we got to see the cliffs of Dover and see France from afar. That was nice. So I've enjoyed myself. What about you guys? Yeah, I would say it's been good. I would say it's been good. We're all tired. I agree with you that <laughs> my mind is slowly checking out, yeah. but it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Well then, in the spirit of keeping up with tradition, let's just get into it then. All right, so we're here to talk about love. Love in the Greek, keeping up with the fruit of the spirit context in Galatians 5 is translated to agape, which is sacrificial love, an act of the will, And I want to point out this is divine love. This is a different love than Eros, which is sensual love, and it's also different from phileo, which is brotherly affection. Ultimately, I think for this episode, I want to just keep it to the fact that the love that we're talking about is a love that has transformed all of our lives. And I think that makes it easy to talk about because we've all experienced it. God's love changes us, and as changed people, we're now ambassadors for Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, so I'll get started by reading that. And it says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God, for God made Christ, who who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, 
so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This verse, the thing that stuck out to me immediately, not just because we are talking about love, is the reason for all of this, which is Christ's love, which compels or controls us. And when you, I think when you operate from that place, it makes you want to be an ambassador. It makes you want to be bold for the truth of the gospel. And it also makes you want to see others transformed and changed by that same love that we have encountered. Um, what do you guys think when you hear that, that those verses? Any thoughts, additions? Can you read the part again about the human perspective and no longer having a human perspective of Christ? Yeah. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and new life has begun. Is that what you're referring to? I believe so. When I heard that passage, the one thing it made me think of is there's a circulating phrase among the church right now that's like just love, just love, just love, but we never really define it. We don't describe what it looks like. We don't describe what it means per se, except for a lot of times I see love defined or expressed as tolerance. Anyway, as soon as I heard that, I was like, hmm, I think there's still some ways that culturally we hold on to a human perspective of love instead of looking how the how Jesus acted in love, yeah. which was to confront that which leads to death head on, yeah. but in compassion with the heart of compassion. So I think in a way we can still like have that human perspective on Christ and the love of Christ being like, well, Christ means if I'm a Christ, I'll cry. <laughs> and that's not okay. Yeah. That's not, but anyway, that just made me think of that. So that's all. That's a good point. I wanted to build on the foundation of kind of your question, what is love in the context of scripture? So yeah, that, that kind of is perfect. Like we have a different viewpoint now. You know, we don't just say love is love and not being able to define what it actually is because saying that this is not helpful because you can say that, yeah, love is love. You can love your stove and marry it, but is it right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, um, yeah, boundaries. Yeah. So I wanted to build upon that. Yeah. I was actually going to say, um, I remember uh, Shylin is a Christian hip hop artist once said on one of his songs, he has two, he had two albums out. One was called Do- uh, Theology. Uh, and uh, the other one was called Doxology. And essentially, he was saying that without proper theology and proper understanding of the scriptures, then your doxology will be idolatry. And so if all you know is Jesus, then at the end of the day, you'll just, well, you say Jesus, but you don't really know who he is. You don't really know. And then then be synonymously, if you don't really know what love is, then you'll just worship love for the sake of love without understanding properly and doctrinally who Christ actually is and what like what God's love really looks like, which is scary because then that means that we can do that with anything. We can allow ourselves to be trapped into any type of thing without really understanding scripture theologically and correctly. And so to kind of, I know that wasn't answering your question fully, but there's just something when Amity said what she said, it just made me think about it. Like if we don't have that, we just have idolatry. Yeah. And then, and then if we only understand love just theologically without understanding in a sense of worship, that it's all worship to God, like then it'll just become we can become self righteous because all we know is what we know, 
without really having a proper understanding of, you know, actually living it out. Yeah. 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 I think there's so many things in scripture that we're called not to love and we're called to love. We're called not to love the world, um, but we're called to, you know, love our neighbors. We're called to. So I, I think the evaluation of love is love people over your love for things and love for yourself and ultimately love God. You know, that's the greatest thing in love. You know, love your neighbor yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's interesting that we're coming at the the commitment to love and then stepping back and saying, okay, we're called to love, but what does that mean? And what's interesting to me, like when I flip through the scriptures, it seems like the apostles are taking that same approach when they're talking to Christians, specifically John. So 1 John 4, verse 7, he commends the church to love. And he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And so he's he's giving them a basis and a source of why ought, why ought we to love one another? Because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And there you see the source of love is God. The source of goodness is God. It's, it's an extension of his character. Yeah. And then Jesus does a similar thing in John 15 when he tells his disciples to love one another. In John 15, 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes to define what great love looks like. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And so we see that, again, the definition of love comes back to God because what is what is Jesus trying to say? Greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. God is the first, the first primary example of true and great love in that Christ laid down his life for his friends, for those who are the people of God. And so then we're, when we're asking what is love, we're asking about like what is this characteristic of God? And then if it's a characteristic of God, then the standard, is not, the standard of love is not whatever I make up. It's the love of God. That is the standard of how I ought to love. So if, you know, I'm like putting down my friend and I'm like saying rude things to them, like cutting them down, and someone's like, hey, like, maybe you should chill a little bit. You know, that's, that's a really uncommon. She said, oh, it's all good. That's just love. It's like, mm. well, the standard of love is God. Yeah. It's not just kind of what I can make up on the fly or what we mutually consent to, which I think the world takes in numerous ways, like, Obviously, you can go down the path of like the same thing of of sex, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's mutual consent. Like that's whereas like no, it's, it's actually how did God define what that was meant for mm-hmm. to be displaying love in a marriage? And so it's a very real, it's a very real question. And it's I love the fact that both Jesus and John and, and Paul point us towards love one another, and they know. That, okay, we need an example. What is that supposed to look back? And they point us to God. Like He is the source of love. His character defines how we ought to love. Yeah. And in fact, before Jesus left his disciples, he said, love one another as I have loved you. So then I think that gives us a definition of love because, and somebody might say, well, that's not clear enough. I'm like, no, well, look at the character of Jesus. Mm-hmm. How did he love his disciples? They were never in want. You know, they weren't rich, but he always provided for them. Yeah. How do you love his disciples? He 
corrected them when they were wrong, when they were going the wrong way. He, he cared for them. He, he called John his beloved disciple. You know, um, so I think if we look at his character, the more we see the character of God in the person of Jesus Christ, it fills out this view of what love looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about this, I think, Nate, like maybe a couple weeks ago. Like, love is rooted in truth. For us, truth is found in the scripture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, it, if it's not rooted in what scripture teaches, it's not love. No matter how sincere or no matter how, like, I don't know, good it makes you feel. Like, if it's not rooted in the truth of scripture for us, and in general, because we believe that this is the truth, and then it's not real love. Doesn't mean that others can't find real love outside of, you know, where we find it in the truth of scripture. I think all truth comes from God. So if there is any truth found in the world, it's from God. So I guess there can be, but um, if it's a perverted or a twisted view of love, then it's not. I don't know what you guys thought on that. Yeah, I would totally say um, the moment we try to justify certain things of love, for example, if we want to go to the topics of like, like just to, like just the love is love and it's the LGBTQ community in general, it seems very valid, you know, that oh, I've been hurt, you know, so like, I get, you know, I need love. But in reality, again, it's still looking for love in all the wrong places. It's still a moment of just saying you just want that, that feeling of comfort and you want to know that someone cares, mm-hmm. except sometimes if we're honest, the church hasn't been as loving in the approach on how it's been said. And so because of that, they don't look for love. Many people don't look for love at the church because we've sometimes failed to reflect that love properly. And we will because we're sinners. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But still, like, so did it go, oh, well, this person loves me. Oh, this person cares about me. And sometimes, if you were honest, there's many people who who don't abide by scripture, who live very like self-sacrificially and all the things that God talks about. Like I have Philippians 2 right here. And of course, this is addressing the church in Philippi, but like do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and humility count others better than yourself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. So like they wouldn't even know, but they would still carry out a way that would be, you know what? I'm going to protest for you or I'm going to, you know, make sure I defend you when someone says these slurs because that looks like love. Even though it's tainted, it very much looks very similar and very morally similar to what love is according to the scriptures. And so we have to make sure that we're mindful on, okay, how would I then do that? Do I do the same thing? Yes. Like, would I love someone who is in sin? Like, would I defend them if they're being less? I mean, I don't want to get into a lot of political conversation in this, but like with all the things we have going on in our country today, yeah. right? Like, so like what I love, what I show Christ's love to these people, to all these people, including my family, including everybody. Yes. Right. But there is a start. It's still a start difference. And that comes from us having the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider himself to consider equality with God, something to be grasped. So it has to be something that, shows that we're not just justified by our word love or by our loving actions, but by a sacrificial love that can only come from Jesus. Because otherwise it will be very moral. 
it just will always look moral. And that's why, like, it's so tempting even for us Christians to go, man, that applied, you know, because the world, it looks morally good at times. Like, I do want to fight for those who have been, like, treated poorly in the LGBTQ community. You know, I would love to say, no, like, that's horrible that they said that about you or anything. And I should because I'm a believer, but also because I'm a believer in love, I should let you know that you're separated from the Lord. And like, it is through Christ's blood and sacrifice that you find life. It can't just be that I just go, I fight for you, we're done. You know, like it has to be, like that's what Christ did. Love you enough to speak truth. Exactly. Love you enough to speak truth. But it has to be both. Because we miss truth. Now, that you're doing just like what the church has been doing for years. And then, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. You're just a more good person. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a blend. It's hard. Yeah. It's very hard. Mike. Go where they find love. Yeah. Where they find acceptance. Yeah. And we should be the ones that are opening our arms and saying, hey, you have a home here. Like you can grow here. You know, you can find the truth here and find love here um, and do life. You know, that's, I think that's a big part of it. Like you go where you feel comfortable. Yeah. Where you I, feel accepted. I do think that's a, a bit of a mixed bag in a sense of like we ought to be making sure we do all that we can to extend love and compassion. Yeah. But we shouldn't expect that every time that we do that, that it will be received or that someone will feel comfortable with. That's true. Because even if you're loving and compassionate to someone, if what they want to cling to, if you have a child who like really wants, like they're just addicted to drugs and like you, and they know the love and compassion that you have for them, but they know that they can't live that lifestyle to live in your household. Mm -hmm. They might be like, man, I love, I know my mom and my dad loves me. I really want this. Yeah. And, and I know they love me, but they don't love this. Yeah. And I can end up with a group of people who seem to care for me and also are accepting of my behaviors and I think it's good. And yeah, I feel like I've seen things like that. And I think that's the story of the prodigal son. I mean, father gave him the whole inheritance. It wasn't like he was in some like house where like he was being totally mistreated. Like he just there was burning desires and he wanted them fulfilled. What was encouraging though was that I think like Mac was saying, there are open like we should have those open arms. When he repented and wanted to turn back, like the father ran to meet him. And I think we have to have like that's the picture that's the picture of Christ is like open arms to all who would turn. And it's yeah. not about you're too dirty, you're too like we we are all too dirty to be saved of our own merit. But that's why we need a savior yeah. who's compassionate. We need to reflect his compassion. Yeah. Um, one of the I guess one of the most popular verses or scriptures in Bible that I think of when I think of love is First Corinthians thirteen, and I think it's always been the most complete view for me of what love is and isn't as far as actions go. It shows me where I have fallen short and where, you know, Christ has shown himself strong even in my life when I read it. And do you guys all want to split it up and read together? Yeah. Cool, cool. All right, so 1 Corinthians 13, I'll start. I'll stop at 3. 
If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these these oh, three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah. So here we get a complete view of, you know, that sentiment that love is the greatest. Like we all know, even the world knows, love is the strongest force that we have. But here we get a complete breakdown of what love is and what love isn't. And if I think if people were to truly, you know, even Christians who say, yeah, love is the greatest, but it's just our accepting of everything. If we come back to this, we can get a full understanding of where we are loving our neighbors and others correctly, such as, you know, speaking the truth, you know, such as not exalting spiritual gifts above loving our neighbors. And I, I, I don't know, I think I grew up in a context where, like spiritual gifts are exalted, like above, you know, actually loving people. I'm like, oh yeah, you may be able to speak in tongues, but your love sucks. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I don't know, like I've seen that a lot, you know, it's like your spiritual gifts means nothing if you are not loving how Christ called to love. I've always wrestled with that because I'm like, well, if they have these spiritual gifts or if they're, you know, they're doing these things, like aren't they legitimately of God, and I don't know, I still wrestle through this daily because even looking at the context of the world, you're like, oh man, yeah, they are loving. They understand the love aspect of life, but they don't get the truth aspect of life. They don't get the, or their eyes haven't been opened, I should say. They're still blinded by the God of this world, and they still want their way. And to me, it just, it creates this very, like, honestly, it's tiring battle in my mind where I'm like, oh, they, they got something right, so I'm just going to let them do their thing. <laughs> but then I'm not doing my thing. I'm not being loving because I'm not presenting the truth. So, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's a conflict of mine that I deal with almost daily because I want to keep the peace in life. I want to be the one that's like, I'm just going to be accepting of you and love you. And then I read this and I'm like, I'm not loving them because I'm not telling the truth, you know? 
So I, I'm wrestling through this still. And I mean, I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Are you guys wrestling, wrestled, um, thoughts, additions? <laughs> if it's okay, like, I was going to say two things that stuck out to me when you read one to read first Corinthians 13 in the first place. The second one, um, yes, I'll answer the second one first. So most definitely. Yeah. I think until we see Christ in glory, this is something we'll wrestle through. Because there's this reality that whether you're single, and I purposely say this, whether you're single and you have friends, you don't want to be sometimes the most loving person in the world to them. Yeah. Or whether you're married and your spouse, you would rather not be the most loving person. Many, many times than not, we want to just have our way and get our point across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we try to make sure things happen according to how we want them to happen. And there's this reality that that's just not, the only one literally who can actually do that was Jesus. Yeah. Like he has every right to. Where his is not sinful by any means, ours will usually be sinful. When we want our way, even in the moments where we where we do know what's best, the first thing of love is that it's patient. Like the first thing he mentions is that love is patient. Like even when it comes to the people you do life with, like every day, whatever your occupation is, whatever, like, like if you are speaking truth to Christ, loving your neighbors, yourself, living that out, like truly asking God for grace mm-hmm. and you're bearing fruit. Right? Like it's not something you just do. I'm a bear fruit today. Like, nah, like he is his grace to bear fruit, but we need his grace for that. So, like, if we do that, we also have to be patient. It's not gonna be one of those immediate things because sometimes we have a tendency as people in general to go, I'm done with you because you get on my nerves, or I'm done with you because you know, whatever, like I'm just gonna cut you off. And then there's a lot of memes that go around and say, if they weren't for you, they'll never be, you know, and there's sometimes like where it's healthy, probably for your soul too. Be careful because bad company does corrupt good character. Yet at the same time, there is a moment where you have to be able to go, I'm going to do it with you regardless. You know, like, and that's just hard to do. The One of the things you were talking about gifts, though, that stuck out to me, because I remember this is one pastor that uh, spoke on 1 Corinthians 12 before 13 on purpose. And he was talking about the spiritual gifts. And he said how, like, we're talking about we're members of one body that I cannot say to the ear, you know, I don't need you. We need each other. And then it ends with, at the very at the very end, um, he says, uh, "Are in verse twenty nine of First Corinthians twelve, he said, uh, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess spiritual uh, gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire to hire gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way." So then he goes into First Corinthians thirteen, and he's like, "If I speak in tongues." And do all these things, but then I have not love. I'm just a clanging gong, like a symbol. And if I don't do this, then this. So he's like, here's all the things about gifts. So gifts are beautiful. Those yeah. things are amazing. However, even if you, but if you ain't got, if you don't have the love of Christ, yeah. like if you don't have love, like you just doing stuff, right? And so it's one of those things where to remember, like they do, they do go hand in hand, though, right? Like because sometimes I've seen, and I'm not. I'm not talking about or like trying to downplay churches, but I've had churches that I've been to and a part of where mm-hmm. like it's really not about like gifts, but gifts are beautiful. God gives them to us for his glory. Right. Yeah. And so like but then they get this kind of pushed to the side because, you know, gospel is the only focus. And that's true. Mm-hmm. However, because of the gospel, we do our gifts. And so like the gifts are there. However, at the same time, then we go. I've seen churches that go. Like you were saying, gifts, yeah. gifts, 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 gifts. Yeah. But where 
Where's the gospel? Example? Where's Jesus? Where's love? Right. There's none of that. Right. Yeah. So both of them do blend because ultimately both of them exalt Christ or should exalt Christ. Yeah. If that, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It makes me think of something you always said, and I've stuck. I've actually ran with your statement. Huh. Like how life is a pendulum. Hey, for anyone wondering, we ran into some tech issues, so that's why I had to interrupt you guys here. All right, well, now back to your regularly scheduled program. Enjoy. So this is recording three at this part because my computer <laughs> and user error. So um, the pendulum that I refer to through Macklin often, um, I've been searching for balance and I've been searching for, Nate, you brought this earlier, non purpose, truth. Um, is what I've really been searching for, I guess. So the fullness of truth. And I decided to go to um, Fuller Theological Seminary to get my master or my master's in divinity. And, you know, I've been getting like some feedback from people from certain camps within Christianity. Why would you choose that school? It's not the most sound doctrinal or it's they're barely. Um, someone told me, what did they say? They're barely evangelical. And I'm like, Okay. And I, you know, my, my response is like, this is where the Lord's leading me. I believe that the spirit still operates. I believe that God still does speak to us in dreams. I'm not saying every dream I have is from God, but I literally prayed about this. And the same night I had a dream about the school I should go to. I had a list of schools, you know, some schools that you would agree with, some schools that you wouldn't agree with. And this is where the Lord is leading me. And I've confirmed with others and I feel confident that this is where God is leading me and I know what I believe to be true, but I don't want to be a believer that is only in community with believers who think exactly the same way as me, because I want to challenge myself and I also want to be um, critical in my thinking. So I'm on this journey for wholeness and for the truth. So that's kind of where I am. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I guess so briefly mention that it's a story about my friend Dennis in college who when we were having I was having a conversation about balance and encouraged me gently towards the fact that you know it's not so much just about balance that you mentioned like good doctrine bad doctrine <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to balance those yeah. two um, really just to kind of rehash a few things that we talked about on our own no one else <laughs> so we'll just say we talked about amongst ourselves yeah. you know thinking about a, a balance between theology and doxology, which we define as studying God, reading, reading about him and his word and learning about him, and doxology, which is returning that in praise and worship, mm -hmm. and how it's not just uh, take a piece of this or that from this group or that group, or just find the middle, but it's about the fullness of truth in that Jesus coming in grace and in truth was meant to lead to worship and praise and rejoicing. But just in the fact that we're talking about fruit and we had mentioned gifts and like, you know, what is it? What is the fruit of the spirit? And you, you talked earlier about like seeing people in us, oh, you have this gift, but man, like you're not loving. And what we know Paul says, like, what is what's the purpose of that? I'm like a clinging symbol. And Jesus in Matthew seven, verse 15 says to beware of false prophets 
Um, and a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God, someone who often performs miraculous signs to, to try to prove to people their their truth. But I think Jesus would show us that it's actually fruitfulness from the Lord that affirms someone who is, is from God. And this fruit that we're talking about in Galatians 5 is the fruit of conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus says, you will recognize them, false prophets, by the fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them for their fruits. Recognize them by their fruits. And like having that context helps us to understand the passage that comes after, which we often read, which like listening to it is kind of scary. But when you have that context, and then Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many signs, many mighty works in your name? And these are all things that we would associate typically with the Spirit of God. And he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, how can Jesus say to these people who seem to be performing these things that have some association with the Spirit of God, I never knew you, when these seem to be the working out of some kind of gift? Well, I think if we look at Galatians 5, these things, prophesying, casting out demons, healing people in the name of Jesus, aren't mentioned among the fruit of the Spirit, which is like the fruit of a heart that's been turned from stone to flesh, the fruit of conversion. They are clearly mentioned as a fulfillment of prophecy of the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Holy Spirit, pouring out these gifts on the children of God. But we read in Hebrews 6, another passage that we often see is scary, and like, is this talking about losing your salvation? People have tasted of the Holy Spirit and the heavenly gift and the word of God, and yet they cannot be restored unto him because they've trampled down the Son of God. But then what's interesting is after that, the writer turns to this church of Hebrews and says to them, we are confirmed or we are confident of things greater concerning you, things concerning salvation. And so it's like all this touching, tasting experience in and of itself is not conversion by itself. And so he was confident of them because he'd seen fruit of conversion. And so I thought it'd be helpful if we, if we look at it that way, and Jesus is saying, it's not all those who do these things and say to me, Lord, Lord, but it's those who do the will of my Father. And then John 15, he tells us the will of his Father, John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Earlier in John, he says, you know, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, when you love one another mm-hmm. as I have loved you. So yeah. this is the fruit of you being of you. This is the fruit of the Spirit residing in you. Yeah. So that would be helpful if we maybe read through the fruit of the Spirit and thought of love through that context yeah. of coming from conversion. Yeah. So Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And in thinking about what you just mentioned, Nate, I just wanted to um, see how have you guys 
seen the Lord work these um, or certain fruit of the spirit on me. Like recently, I'll, I'll start with myself. Um, I, you know, I've seen people say, oh, Christian, you're so patient or, you know, and for me, I'm just like, bro, I am probably one of the least, most, least patient people I know. But at the same time, um, I've been learning that through trials that I'm going through, through familial issues and issues with church, that I'm to be patient in affliction and through the afflictions that I'm going through. And they're not easy. These things suck and they're extremely hard and they are, they're very heavy. I'm learning patience. You know, I'm learning to wait on the Lord to fight and learning to be still and to trust that he is the one that's fighting the battle and that I don't need to defend you know, myself, like the Lord is my defense. And another one I wanted to add to that is love because of everything that is going on. It's really, really weighing on me like hard. Like how can you love people who wrong you or who want to see you hurt? And I'm not saying that that is the intent or who are hurting you, you know? How can you love someone who it feels is pinning your family against each other? How can you love someone who doesn't seem that they want the best for you? They just want what they can get out of a certain situation. And um, I'm, I'm wrestling with that daily. And I think the only way that I see that I can love certain people in this, you know, certain people in my life currently is by praying for them. Like, bless those that curse you. Pray for those that are. Love those that curse you. Pray for those that persecute you. And um, I'm, I'm just, that is my practice. I'm like, okay, God, I'm just going to pray for these people. I'm going to speak blessings over their lives. God, I pray that you bless their friends. I pray that you bless their relationship with you. I pray, God, that you would give them clarity and thought in mind. And that's literally all I can do. And I guess my thought has always been, am I not showing love if I don't want to be in that person's presence and if I can't be around that person for this, this state of life right now? But I think I can. Like, I can love from afar. And I can pray for them. And if I see them, I'm not going to be rude. I'm just going to be me. So that's what I'm learning currently. Anyone else? I'll say patience and joy. I'm just the things that the Lord is showing me. Like in reality, do I do any of these things well? No. Yeah. With God's help, will he be glorified in spite of? Yeah. yeah. However, the, the two big ones for me would definitely be patience and joy. At the beginning of this year, I prayed to God for more joy in him, ultimately because I had been just going through a lot in the past couple of years with depression, it's a bunch of different things. Whereas before I'm such an extroverted person and love being with people, I'm way more okay with being okay, like being alone, which is good. But then when I'm with people, I'm not as patient. And like just what we're doing, understanding, you know, all those types of things. And so because of that, like God is really just reminding me to ask him for his help and patience. If I look at God who is unlimitedly patient and with his help, I can also be patient. Yeah. And he literally, literally says like he has unlimited patience. Yeah. And you look at that because the fall from Genesis mm-hmm. all the way to what's promised through Christ, yeah. you know, in the fall. Um, and we were stiff necked people and all that. So if he's that patient and I have his spirit, I can, I can definitely bear a piece of that that piece of fruit of the fruit, um, as well as joy. He wants me to come into his joy 
he says that there is joy in his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore in his presence is fullness of joy. And so to be reminded that like, he is all those things that mm-hmm. I need. The perfect example is always going to be found in Christ. Yeah. I mean, he teaches us through different things, but the perfect example will always be found in Christ yeah. for those things. So, True. Yeah. Uh, for me, I would say gentleness. Like we were talking about during the break, I haven't been the most gentle person. And it really started, my gentleness process started about two years ago when I moved to Dallas. Pretty much everything changed for me then. And then I started the uh, the police academy, became a police officer. And the reverse effect happened. I became more gentle with uh, everyone, people in my personal life, the suspects that I arrest. Because in terms of my job, I, I don't see any reason to be what they call POP or pissed off policing. And so I don't see any reason why you would be this rude, you know, kind of blunt police officer all the time. There's just no need for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the situation is already bad for everybody. It's, it's bad for the suspect because they're committing crimes and about to go to jail or prison. It's bad for us because we have to deal with that too. And I believe that it's just easier just to take a calm approach to most situations if you can, um, to be gentle if you can. Um, and I've seen benefits and positive returns in my personal life by being gentle to people, especially people I really, especially for the people I really care about and love. So that's what the Lord's really been working on me in the last two years is being gentle, being slow to anger and not say exactly what you think or feel. Cause a lot of times when you say exactly what you're thinking, it's not productive. It doesn't build people up. And um, you kind of take steps backwards in relationships sometimes. So that's what the Lord's been teaching me to be gentle. Yeah. Hello. Um, so what the Lord's been teaching me specifically um, in this past year at school, I'm still in school, 24, finishing my junior year, going into my senior year, is learning how to be at peace with him and what that looks like. I like to do things, so if I don't feel like I'm doing something, I think I'm doing something wrong. So I'm like, I gotta do obedience, I gotta do faith, I gotta do prayer, I gotta do. And it's just like, you can't do. I can do through you, but you cannot do anything. I'm like, it's a hard pill to swallow. And so, um, just at different times through the semester, calling out to the Lord, I go to a non Christian school, so the environment could be tough to live out your faith amongst um, people who not only may not care, but are actively pursuing anything but the Lord and aren't afraid to show that. So um, learning to be at peace with the Lord in my own heart, he tells me to be still a lot. And I come to him with a lot of questions like, what does that look like? Be still. How do I do that? Be still. Am I doing it? And he's just like, shh, be still. So um, allowing his spirit to come and abide with me. But the verse in Proverbs, I think, 3, where it's like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring nourishment to your body and health to your bones. Um, the peace comes from 
trusting that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do and I don't have to have the answers but knowing that he is faithful to keep his promise because his word is a promise mm-hmm. when he gives his word it's not just verses he's a gentleman and he's giving his word to keep so what he says I can believe to be true and that's where the peace comes from I think and I'd say it's Lord stretching me in my love and in faithfulness. I would say that, so I grew up in a Christian household around believing people grew up in church. Then I went to a Christian college. And so when there's an environment that supports your belief system, it simplifies the sacrifice of love. And then I became an ER nurse which is the most expensive draw from the well of love. That's an analogy that I've ever enjoyed. So what I learned quickly in that environment is I do not have love inside of me. I've been given a personality that displays compassion. I've been given a personality that has warmth, but the actual love that for 12 hours, so when, when you go to the hospital and it's the worst day of your life for whatever reason that you're here to see us, what they, don't, what they expect is that you're gonna be excellent in your science. What they also expect is that you care for their emotions. Everybody expects, doesn't matter if they come for a hangnail on their toe and I just had a cardiac arrest over like a five-year-old who died. Everybody wants me to feel their pain. And if you're a good nurse, you're bringing your heart and your, your kindness, you're bringing your, your heart to enter into pain with each person. And so that's been really expensive, really expensive. And expensive meaning that love is the currency I'm always pulling out of a reserve, and I learned really quickly that I don't have love outside of currency, um, and that you can't love with excuses. Meaning, on a hard day, if God is the source of everything, that I can't say I was just tired. Like if I believe mm-hmm. who He says He is, I, there's no excuses that stand before the throne of God as a as a shield for His requirements, and not that it's severe. It's just that he's so holy to do what he's called you to do is literally him inside of you, extending his love. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, I'd say Jesus brought me to the end of myself and allowed me to begin to dive into the beginning of his infinite love, which expresses itself in patience and joy. But truly to live without excuses. Like if you're in a simple environment, you say, oh, I'm just tired. And you kind of let yourself off the hook. Yeah. But the, I, I, he called me like, oh, he said, like, there might be an explanation but there's never an excuse. That might be why it happened. It doesn't change what I've called you to do. So I'm growing in love and in surrender and in sacrifice when you have the heroin addict over and over. And then after you've done all that for 12 hours and you come home and your family's like, I don't feel good. And you're like, I don't care. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm out of the love of my heart. You're gonna have to wait. <laughs> so there. So I'm learning to walk the journey of like long suffering and sacrifice, which means like God, you're my source and you are with me. And while you've given me the capacity or maybe a tendency to be warm, like you are love and I'm an empty vessel, that's a fact. So I think I'm growing. In surrender, I don't love that. I like feeling strong. I'm not necessarily strong, but I like appearing like I'm strong. <laughs> it feels nice. <laughs> but um, 
to allow my limits to let me know the fullness of Christ. Because if I don't acknowledge them, I can't see him. I want to see myself. And then in that, to be faithful. So then you do it. You're like, yo, I'm learning how to love. Can I be selfish today? No. Like, <laughs> like no. So you're going to do that, and you're going to do it for a long time. I'm like, no. Sorry, British accent's up there. <laughs> um, so he's showing me how to be faithful in hope. How to be faithful in affliction. How to be faithful in love. And to do the little things every day. When you feel like no one's looking, when you feel like it doesn't matter, when everything says, like, culture says this isn't important. Mm-hmm. Culture says this is worthless. I'm thinking to myself, like, immediate, more than instant gratification, just the bent to want to see quickly, I guess, impatience. But he's teaching me in love to be faithful and in love and because of love to value the secret place above all else. Because if it's about God, if it's for God, if it's because of God, mm-hmm. then if he sees me, what am I really chasing with being able to see the fruit? So I think, yeah, love. Growing in love of him, the love of his presence in a pure, like, here I am. You love me, I love you. We're here, and it's not about what I can do or what I want to do. It's about how I can express our intimacy to draw others to ex- experience the same intimacy. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like when I looked at the list and tried to pull out certain things, because I think there's certain things that I feel more keenly during this season in life that I see particularly, mm-hmm. where I'm like, faithfulness, struggling with that. And then what's the motivation of faithfulness? Uh, yeah. You know, if, and if you don't have the source of patience, you know, well, if I'm not patient, I'm certainly not going to be kind or peaceful. Yeah. And um, something that struck me as we were reading through Galatians and also reading through 1 Corinthians 13 is that, you know, this overlap, that love is also characterized by these other fruits mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 13, that it's patient, that it's kind, that it rejoices, mm-hmm. and it bears all things. So in that way, you see love as, yes, a fruit of the Spirit, but also a kind of, kind of a summative root as well of these other things flowing out of us. Like Jesus, like talking about obedience, like, what would inspire us to obey God? Jesus said, whoever loves me obeys my commandments. Mm-hmm. So there you see faithfulness being a fruit of love. And it's the love of God in our hearts that gives us the peace that surpasses our understanding. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I particularly pinpoint faithfulness, self-control, just where I see issues of diligence and those being places where I'm struggling but then I, I remember something that Matthew said earlier when we were talking together that none of us could point to this list and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm good at that one. Yeah. Because they are so intimately and purposefully interconnected. And that, that takes us back to the fact that they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. No one can be like, oh, well, you know, I got self-control. I'm just wrestling with love. You know, yeah. or I just don't have joy. Ultimately, we're... It's, it's, you have the spirit 
And the Spirit is growing all of these things in us. We may take notice because and we're terrible observers of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, often it takes others, iron sharpening iron, to kind of reflect on things that we may not be seeing that are good or that are deficient. And the Lord sees this, this full thing. And I'm thankful that He is wholly restoring us and He doesn't see things the way that the world sees things. He doesn't see, I saved you, and when I saved you, you're already pretty compassionate. We're just going to work on your gentleness and your, or your faithfulness. It's like, like Amma said, like, when pushed to, to the limits of her capacity, she realized, I am not a source of love. When God saved me, it wasn't that I was just full of love already. <laughs> and you may have a certain disposition that is already more faithful, that is already more compassionate, that is already, you know, but... Ultimately, God's not concerned with an outward disposition, but the total renewing mm. of our hearts. Yeah. So it's an encouragement to see that God is, is wholly working out this love in our lives. That Where I feel like I'm lacking faithfulness and self-control, but God is saying, we're lacking much more than that. But fear not, like, I'm working on all of you. Um, yeah. I think to Amma's point, like, it's easy for us to love those who our friends you know it's harder to love the drug addict who's you know come to your place of business or in your case a patient so the fact that the lord is producing that in your heart is a blessing and you know it's like something to praise god for mm-hmm. and i think we talked about this offline like earlier like it's good that we're able to we've seen each other grow we've seen the lord produce the fruit in our lives and we've been able to Encourage them to say, hey, I've noticed this in your life. Mm-hmm. And hey, I've noticed this in your life. Or even Melvin's maybe like, hey, you lack some patience with me right now. <laughs> you know, so like I, I thank God for that, the blessing of friendship in that way. Like you said, iron sharpens iron. So it's important that we are in community with each other and that we're in community with other believers when we're not together because none of us live in the same town. And, you know, that's uh, it's hard, but... I wish you guys moved to DC, but uh, <laughs> but no, it's a blessing that we're able to when we are together, or when we speak on the phone, or we text, or any communication that we're able to point out the growth points and maybe some points where God is trying to show us, hey, I want to produce this in your life more. I want to continue to grow this, all the fruit ultimately, but this fruit I need to have growth in at this moment. So that's awesome. Um, anything else anyone wants to say about the fruit of spirit love before we wrap up? God is love. God is love. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm seeing recently, a lot of things are happening recently, (laughs) is that when you love, you want the best for them. Yeah. And it's not necessarily what you think is the best. It's just the God best. This is a silly example, but you have a dog. A lot of people love their dogs, mm-hmm. and they buy the dog the best food, best whatever. Okay. Vegan. Sure. <laughs> you know, that dog eats meat. <laughs> um, and so for God, God gave us the absolute best. He gave us himself, mm-hmm. essentially. And so whenever it comes to love, ask God to help you love them 
the way he would through you the best way. Because sometimes you don't feel very loving, like Amadeus was saying. You just don't. So it's like, God, I need you to help me love this person. Because right now they're tripping or I'm tripping. And I want them to have the best. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So what you just said, William, made me think about um, a conversation I had with a good friend of mine um, when struggling with lust. Like, how do, you know, we deal with these natural desires? You know, maybe someone who do love and it, it works itself out in lust anytime it's, you know, sex before it's time. We're in the wrong capacity um, or the wrong, what's the word? Content. Content, yeah. How do we... How do we deal with love or, you know, manage our lust issues in that way? And I was given those practical advice and it was to look at that person, write down things, how ways that God loves that person and start to pray that God would help you view that person in the context that God loves that person. Because mm-hmm. love will never draw you to do anything, one, before it's time or outside of the proper context. So that was like amazing, just getting practical advice, how to deal with the lust aspect that we as humans deal with, um, as believers even. So I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, anything else? Mm-hmm. Anything else in the notes? No, I got, I got nothing else. So I thank you guys for joining us, and I hope that this season has been good and fruitful. I hope that you would leave a review and comment and tell us what you've been learning during this time, you know, during your journey to the celestial city. So yeah. Thanks for joining. Thanks to my lovely friends here who are sitting around this table with me and who do life with me. We love you. Yeah. Peace from London. Peace from London. Yo. Oh gosh. Sorry.